Hi, I'm Paul Schulze. I played Father Phil in Tintola on The Sopranos, and you're listening to Pada Bing. I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, you know the drill. Take 60 seconds to support it at any level by visiting glow.fm slash potabing. At a minimum, please share this episode or your favorite one with one new person and follow us on all the socials at potabing. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at potabing on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a fun conversation I had with Paul Schulze. Paul played Father Intintola on the show. Paul came down to the studio to talk Sopranos, his 40-year friendship and working relationship with Edie Falco, how to dress when you meet Sylvester Stallone, and what it's like to be a Knicks fan in 2020. That's all I got. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, listeners. Here's Paul Schulze. Paul, thank you for being a part of this. My pleasure. So how did The Sopranos happen for you? What's your recollection of the events as they unfolded? Well, the first time I ever heard of The Sopranos, I was working in a restaurant, and uh, it was the same restaurant that Edie Falco was working in. I was a bartender. She was a waitress. What restaurant was that? Do you remember? It was called Canyon Road. It was on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. and uh, Still there? I believe it is still there. Um, she, I had known Edie for years already, and... Uh, and she was at the end of her days for uh, uh, being a waitress. She was done. And she had already told me that she was about to give her notice and, uh, and that she didn't know or no longer care uh, what was going to happen uh, as far as financial insecurity and the rest goes, that, she, that the world would have to support her as an actor or... She'd starve. She was just done. And, um, and there was a project that she was looking forward to uh, getting ready to start called The Sopranos. And it was a pilot. She had no idea what was going to happen with it, but that's something she was going to do. So that's where I'd heard of that. And she also encouraged me to do the same as far as getting out of the restaurant business and whatever. I certainly wasn't ready. Um, and I just remember thinking it w- must have been about like, opera or something i sopranos i had no idea what it was and she didn't tell me um i don't know how much uh later i wasn't in the um pilot pilot. and uh and for whatever reason they decided to recast the part of the of the priest and um uh david chase was a fan of a film that Edie and i had done called laws of gravity which was a very tiny budgeted new york improv filled 
indie. And, um, and so I guess that's why he came to her. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's maybe why George Ann Walken or whatever was bringing in all kinds of people. But I read for the part of, I can't remember the character's name. He was Uncle Junior's, one of his men. And, uh, Anyway, I went in and I read for that. Mikey Palmisi? I don't know if it was Mikey Palmisi. I think it might have... Is that the guy who got killed in the swamps and, in the, and they get poison ivy? In the, in the ivy? forest. Yeah, yeah. In, the for, in the forest. He's yeah. also got the guy that got staple gunned by Tony. I, I think that might be the guy. Awesome. Anyway, I... I he was I in was, that chair a few a few weeks ago. Oh, great. Uh, Al Sapienza. <laughs> oh, right on. I... Uh, Anyway, I, I remember reading for that, and and uh, and David said uh, that was great. You know, thanks. Uh, I'm wondering if you uh, we'd be interested in reading for a part of a of a priest on the show. And I said, well, of course. And um, anyway, it was a very uh, eventful uh, read and day. I had been acting like a tough guy for years, but I was actually a uh, son of a Lutheran pastor in New York. And uh, a flawed one at that. And so for David to it? ask me to, uh, yeah, of course, uh, a great, a great guy, my dad. But uh, um, anyway, so it was, it was uh, ironic that he asked me to read for that, uh, for Father Tolan's Dead. So that was an easy thing for me to do. I just kind of got into my pop's headspace and, and read the uh, whatever, you know, David and David wrote and it was easy. So your, it's not a leap to say that your chemistry with Edie was from a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, I mean, I've never worked not even close with any actor more than I've worked with, with Edie. It's, uh, it's really uncanny. I mean, I can't remember the real order of things. Uh, Sopranos might have been... I, I don't know, but I, I've played her brother, her fa- her her husband, uh, her priest, uh, her priest, uh, her pusher, and I mean we've worked together uh, professionally Nurse a lot Jackie. of times, yeah, since then. But um, but yeah, on on this thing there was uh, yeah, for whatever reason, not only was it another show that we had in common, but primarily she was the one I was working with, so it was great. I mean, contractually, it's not as if you guys are like a package deal, so to speak, but it is kind of <laughs> cool to be able to pin the beginning of your relationship to an obscure bar on the Upper East Side and then come full circle talking to some random guy about The Sopranos all these years later and to be able to connect the dots is kind of a beautiful thing, right? Oh, it's man. kind of unprecedented. Beyond, I mean, the fact that... I got her that job in that restaurant. I had known her even before that. We went to college together. And I've, so I've known... Where was that? Edie for uh, Purchase. was a state college of New York in Westchester. And uh, yeah, I've, I've known Edie for, my gosh, uh, close to going on 40 years. Wow. <laughs> Have you guys been back to Canyon Road since? Ever uh, together? I don't think so. No, never together. And I'm not sure if either of us have ever been back. I, I actually kept working for a little while after Edie quit, and she would, uh, she'd call me about once a month and say, dude, go for it. I, well, she didn't say dude. She doesn't say dude. I do. And uh, she said, I know, I know you're ready. I know the world will, will definitely, and I was just like, 
whatever, I had fear. So for a little, uh, for about nine months, I kept working. And um, anyway, I finally uh, gave my notice one Saturday. I was getting, it was, I was pretty miserable employee. They were very... uh, because uh, your mind was someplace else. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I really felt like there was nothing more for me to learn on any level, even just on a humble level. Um, and they were more than patient with me. I mean, you know, it's just people working together. They were. I had a lot of friends there. But yeah, the time had come, and and I was uh, I was glad to be uh, to be done with that part of my life. So. You appeared in 13 episodes of the show across the entire span of its 10-year run. I know it's memory lane. What can you tell me about that experience? Moments, interactions, events. What comes to mind in 2020 for you today? Hmm. Wow, a couple of things. Uh, two things that jump out had nothing to do with being on set. One was I, I was, on, I was a, a uh, recurring character on 24 also around that time and one year the cast of 24 was up for an award on in sag one of the sag awards or something like that and i remember going to the event and uh seeing the table with all the sopranos uh folks at it and they were like paulie you know and 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 uh and i I loved my experience on 24 but my but the gang of the sopranos was truly like a family and uh and uh, i just remember that jumping out um i also remember in the first year of the sopranos coming home from work i was doing some plaster work or something and uh i had just come in the apartment my phone was ringing that's how it worked back then i picked it up and it was david chase and he said hey how you doing? You know, it's David Chase. I was like, "Hi, David. How are you?" He's like, "Good, good." I just wanted to let you know that we have finally uh, uh, that we've submitted College, which is the fourth episode of the first year, as our uh, the one that we want uh, network or you know Emmys and stuff like that to consider. It's our favorite episode, and it had a, and you had a lot to do with that. And I just wanted to call you and thank you. I was like. Who does this? I was like, my, it's my pleasure, David. Thank you for calling. He said, "What are you up to?" I said, "Nothing, man. I'm just, I'm just cleaning plaster dust out of my ears, and I'm going to take a shower." And he said, "Oh, you're working on your place?" I said, "Actually, I'm working on someone else's place." And he was like, "Oh, yeah, I hear you. No, no, excellent. Well, anyway, have a great day." I said, "You too." And about an hour later, uh, George Ann Walken called, and uh, or my agent called, and uh, I was written into the next episode. I mean, to that, to this day, he denies that it was that he was just throwing me in there because he heard I was working but uh that jumps out too uh many times man just sitting on the set getting ready to shoot looking into beautiful Miss Falco's face and just being grateful both of us being like wow look at this here we are and uh phenomenal people phenomenal uh writing I mean very rare that a uh, that a script is so elevated, so layered uh, that you that you often have to ask questions about uh, that you you, you want to serve it correctly, and uh, you're not questions like, "Am I doing this right?" Yeah, or 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 uh, yeah, like this. Um, hmm. Even in that episode, that first episode, college 
we're, we're sitting, we're eating. Carmela and I are eating some food, and she makes some uh, reference to... I, I forget who starts the conversation, but I think I was saying if you add up all the... Th- lines that jesus actually says in the bible it only comes out to a certain amount Mm -hmm. and she compares and she says you know it's sort of like i I forget but it was like the beatles i know it had to do with the beatles and it was inane her her not inane but her it was so random is a much better way to put it um so she compared my uh you know uh adding up the lines that, you know, the Nazarene had spoke to, I think, like, playing a Beatles song in reverse or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and my dialogue that's written is, I just think of what she says and I answer yes, you know? And uh, anyway, it was just wonderful. It's like, is the yes, do, do I really agree with her or do I do I just affirm what she's saying or am i contemptuous of course not but or however just different levels stuff like that it's just such a conversation and it's not even i mean it's a conversation that's being written and uh and not obvious yeah and when there's one word that it's being spoken there's this there's silence that precedes it and then there's silence that follows it yes so figuring out that cadence is a bulk of it yeah Thoughts on the character, Father Phil, and his towing... And now that I have a little bit of context uh, as to your relationship with Edie, this will actually enhance this question a little bit. But thoughts on the character and his towing the line between religion and seducing spiritually thirsty women, as Carmela aptly described it. Mm. Were you given notes on that? Like, what, what was Father Phil's M.O.? Is kind of another way to ask the question. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I don't know. I can't remember too many notes. Uh, I know that he was fondly referred to on the set as Father Philanderer okay. by some of the crew. Love that. Um, and yeah, he's he's kind of complex. I, I I love she. What did she say? She said, I, "I don't know what you're up to." When she saw me, I, I think. With Rosalie. Yes, and, and, and it, there was more food being passed and more kind of like uh, flirtation in the air. And, uh, and she said, I don't know what's up with you, you know, but, it's, but something's going on and it has to do with food and, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think he struggled with his vows but that he always came out on the right side of them he was doing the best he could and i think he probably uh did use um you know i mean he wanted sensation and if he can't interesting word yeah and i think he enjoyed uh he he wanted he he probably he more than 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 enjoyed the whiff with carmela for sure of of kind of forbidden uh, energy, sexual energy, but um, but yeah, I, I and and I think that he could uh, sate himself um, conscientiously with food. It, it, it's it's less, uh, it's not forbidden. Wine is not forbidden, and uh, and and neither is uh, desire per se. But 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 not acting on it. So I think he was complicated. He he may have. 
Yeah, I, I don't think he came closer with any of the other parishioners as, as he did with Carm. Um, um, I don't think the others were as aware of their own desire as Carm may have been. Um, so, yeah, I think that answers it. But, yeah, I mean, he was... It, 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 it certainly... We weren't... Um, it wasn't by chance. It was definitely on the page and it was directed that even during this whole... I mean, when we shot it, I wasn't aware of just how much they were uh, uh, using the, sa- the, the, the Eucharist, the, the sacrament of, of distribution of the Eucharist to her as, and then making it so sensual. But um, anyway, it was, it was it, clever. It turned out great. Yeah. And it's a legendary episode that we're talking about. Mm. Um, one of the worst moments in the show from a fan's point of view is when, uh, we see Father Phil and Rosalie and Carmela walks in with her wonderfully prepared ziti and then she walks out and throws it into the trash can. (laughs) What a waste, you know, just what a waste, like, oh, it's like reaching to grab it. Every time we see that, we always kind of are just like lament the loss of such a a wonderfully prepared meal. (laughs) Yes. And and I just have to say I loved I mean talk about subtle and layered writing when uh, when Tony comes home uh, at the end of that episode and and she says just so you don't hear it from the rumor mill or whatever but he spent the night and he's like really I think he said where's where's the ziti and he goes, Father Phil was here and he goes she ate the whole tray you know and uh, but she finally he says, "Well, what did you used to do? Plain, plain name that pope all night?" <laughs> and she said, "You know, you're verging on sacrilege." And again, I'm sure I'm getting it wrong. You're getting most of it right, which is incredible. I there were it. other lines, yeah. but when she finally says, "You're verging on sacrilege," his answer is, "Pardon me, I didn't mean to verge." <laughs> and it's just, I mean, I just think it's so funny. the The humor on that show is uh, is definitely not the first thing that comes up but it's all throughout it it's really i just love it well it's the connective tissue that keeps us talking about it all these years mm-hmm. later that line is so you know you can't make that stuff up as mm-hmm. they say it's just on point and then name that pope is like like where's the board game why, <laughs> why didn't anybody ever make a board game and you know it's part of the sopranos land yeah. just such fun stuff yeah um you think father phil's life was ever in danger uh no. No, I don't. How did being on the show influence your life? You kind of have touched upon it, but personally, professionally, what did being on The Sopranos do for it you? It changed everything for me, professionally at least. Absolutely. Uh, I had been... First of all, I think I, I, I played... Uh, I mentioned a little bit before, I, I would play... Uh, just tough guys all the time. And uh, that's what I was, I guess, best at or known for. Um, I certainly had an, uh, and still do have a New York accent, but it was very much stronger back then. I guess it just lent itself. No, New York is home. Uh, It's home. LA is home now. Yeah. And has been for years, but um, New York is where I'm from. And um, so, yeah, it, it not only changed, uh, uh, the way people saw what I could do, but more than anything, it was just such a huge hit of a show. To have any kind of to have anything to do with it, I think, gave me a little bit more uh, credibility. Um, 
and uh, people were, it was, I, I guess, I'm sure it was just a good thing. Although people say all the time, what was your break, you know? And, and uh, again, it was the first thing I did, which was Laws of Gravity, was, uh, that was my break. That was the beginning and, and, uh, and lots of, uh, and, and even David is a very easy, uh, it's easy to connect the dots between Laws of Gravity and Sopranos. And, uh, easy to connect the dots between Sopranos and everything I've done since. I'm going to say a name. Tell me the first thing that comes to mind. James Gandolfini. Kind. Edie Falco. Brilliant. David Chase. <laughs> kind and brilliant. We talked about this off mic for a minute. Uh, did you watch the show? Were you a fan? I was, yeah. Was it appointment television for you on Sundays? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it's and it's the last. That's I don't know. I can't remember too many shows that were like that. Maybe Roots years before that. Uh, it's hard to hard to think of any of any other time where. I had to be there. I had to see it. And and to this day, just because I'm I'm on something doesn't ensure that I'll watch it at all. In fact, most things I never see again. Um, but Sopranos obviously was something I would have been watching whether I was on it or not. And I was a huge fan of the show. I loved it. I love that you made that distinction without me having to ask. Hmm. You were not on every episode, and you mentioned this a moment ago, that you did some. Uh, you were working on some other shows in parallel mm -hmm. with The Sopranos. On those sets, on those crews, with those cast members, were they into The Sopranos? Was there a mythology or a fantasy or an obsession with the show on other productions? Sometimes, yeah. Um, and I may not, not have... Certainly since. I mean, I worked not long ago. I worked last year on The Expanse, for example. And uh, one of the producers of The Expanse was a huge Sopranos fan. And uh, so that was conversations that we could have. Um, yeah, uh, and it was interesting. There were actually times where I, I got a call to come work on Sopranos and couldn't because I was working on something else and, you know, I was just a recurring player on that. And so it would always, uh, uh, it was always uh, a little odd to watch the show when other people were playing priests on the show. Um, and Because uh, it could have been you. Yeah, because yeah. I think it would have been, been me probably most of the time, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't have any, I, I wasn't really, I don't have any memories that stand out while I was shooting Sopranos and was working on other things that people were like, but I'm sure it was happening all the time. It was a huge, huge, bro, a huge show, as you know. Why do you think people are still connected to the show, unlike really any other? You kind of also touched on it a little bit by saying that you watched it, whereas you probably maybe wouldn't watch some of the other stuff you did. What is the, articulate the je ne sais quoi as you see it. Well, I think, I don't think there was anything, there had ever been anything like it before then. I mean, first Certainly of all, it was, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, I, I think there was, it was a, an absolutely cinematic experience. I mean, the writing was amazing. When I feel like every episode, the ending was not just, an ending that made you want to 
made you hungry for the next episode. It, it was, it had closure and it was beautiful. What does it mean? Everybody says this, including myself, but mm-hmm. I, want, I want to dig a little deeper. What does it mean the writing is beautiful? What does that mean to you? To watch it for 55 minutes, right? You experienced, it was, a, you know, a raucous ride for sure. It was, uh, the violence was, was um, authentic and, and uh, moving. Um, so you're laughing, you're cringing, you're uh, experiencing um, these, just these wild characters. And then you're experiencing real humanity, right? So, I mean, to see Tony kind of ask his uncle, who he sure has tried to put a hit on him, don't you even, don't you love me? You know? These kind of moments like that were just uh, so full and uh, and so unexpected. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it wasn't just that we were seeing incredible um, storytelling, incredible acting, um, having kind of a cinematic experience on TV, um, but it was also right it was hbo so it was it was there were no commercials there were no there were no uh structures strictures i don't know what the right word is uh there was less uh oversight from you know there was no network kind of moral whatever that code is that that stops you that 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 might uh hinder uh expression or writing and uh, so, yeah, man, I mean, it was just a combination of all those things and and also just new faces. I mean, Lorraine Bracco was the, the one person everybody knew, but um, and we certainly got to know everyone else very quickly, but they were just uh, so brilliant. I mean, I remember calling Edie after that that scene with her and Tony when they're when she finally. When she's really had it White with caps. his philandering. Yeah, man. And, and she just finally tells him that she's in love with Fiorio. Just, she just wants to hurt him so badly. And it was just like... You called her after you saw it. Yes, I did. I called her. I was crying, bro. Can you share that exchange? Yeah, I just, you know, I called her and she was like, hello. And uh, I was like, eat man. God, I feel like I just... Like I was peeking into a room that I shouldn't have been and it was just so unbelievable. You just crushed me. And she's, oh, oh, Paul. Oh, doll. Oh, that's so nice. You know, she's so, uh, whatever, um, modest and, and loving. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess, I don't know if I asked her that night. I don't think I did. Um, eventually she told me that they shot that last and, uh, yeah, people were already tired and vulnerable and, you know, they just let it go. And those two were just unbelievable. Yeah. You did it late too. It yeah. Late. No one else was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you encapsulated it so beautifully. Part of the reason why I keep coming back to the show is that it allows you to be eavesdropping on people in places where you would, most people would never have any business, mm-hmm. right? 
who these people are, what they do for a living, and the things they say to each other. And that scene in particular, I haven't seen anything that has moved me that much. The first scene that moved me that much like that was in The Godfather 2 mm-hmm. with Michael and Kay mm-hmm. about the children. That's the first thing that you can kind of put them in the same astrological line. Mm-hmm. But since then, I can't think of anything with two people that are having a marriage come undone, so mm-hmm. to speak. Have you? Yeah, I don't know. I... I Probably not. And, Have and, you seen and, Marriage Story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, did that conjure up any feelings of white caps for you? I mean, I compare everything to The Sopranos. So it's uh-huh. a little, little bit of an unfair question to you. Uh-huh. But like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, did you feel that same feeling that you felt when you called Edie? Did you feel that in, in Marriage Story? Or did it come a little short? No, I, I mean, I loved Marriage Story. And I really loved the fact that I, I felt like the film was never taking anyone either of their sides and and that would be true also in this case i mean tony was certainly uh you know he was a serial cheat and so you kind of uh but but at the same time i mean it's just so interesting right i forget when carmelo was talking to some it was a it was a priest and it wasn't played by me and the priest suggested to her that if she really had, and I think it was a priest, it was either the priest or, or it was the dean, but I don't think it was the dean. No, it was a priest. He said, if you really have Isaac de Bancole played the priest, I believe. Who, if you have such a, you have such an issue with the way that, mm-hmm. with the life that your husband leads, then maybe you should lose those baubles or whatever she was wearing, and, and it really hit home. And uh, and that's why I love the show, right? Moments like that where you're just you you have the time to to mine these these moments where people are we are complicated you know and uh i mean of course also i guess tony was like the beginning of what became what still hasn't stopped which is this anti-hero uh phenomenon you know and we already had it before then uh like you said the godfather and but but not necessarily on tv in the same way not in a way that we can identify with him on a character study level mm-hmm. the closeness the intimacy being in a room with him every week for an hour with that's a therapist it. that's right just a guy in a chair talking to someone he desperately needs some sense of perspective from mm-hmm. you don't get that anywhere else yeah still i mean and that's how you get invested in the character right the movie two hours you get a little bit of time to build up why you should care about this protagonist and then stuff has to happen to that protagonist and then he has to fix it and then something worse has to happen but with tony it's some of the episodes were basically just you thinking about how he's with his kids thinking about how he is with his wife thinking about how he is with his workplace problems Mm. sopranos is a workplace drama if you want to be very clinical about it right but it's super relatable absolutely all aspects of his life are being dissected in a therapist's chair Mm-hmm. It's so simple, but so brilliant, but also so tough to execute. Right? Yeah. And it's one of the obsessions that I have is how did they pull it off for so long? Six seasons, 10 years, and it was just basically, they're like the Showtime Lakers for 10 years. Yeah. Killed it. Never missed a beat. Paul, moving away from The Sopranos, I'm going to name a project that you were a part of that I personally enjoyed. Tell me the first thing that comes to mind to you today. Mm. 24. Kiefer. I just think of Kiefer all the time with that show. Obviously, it kind of begin and began and and ended with him, uh, 
And, you know, Kiefer's kind of notorious for his, uh, some of his exploits. And I remember one night going out with him and I've been sober for, for years and years at that point. And uh, he was drinking J&B scotch and I was drinking Diet Cokes. And I, well, understandably got exhausted before he did. And, um, and I don't know how late he was out that night, but we both had to work first thing in the morning. And he showed up and he was, as he always was, just bulletproof. Just, he had it. I mean, it was like the crew was like, oh, great, these guys, we're going to, it'll be quick. You know, we'll just, we'll, 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 we'll get it, we'll get her done. And he was a super uh, generous guy, super uh, consistent and uh, uh, a, a good number one. Nurse Jackie. That's my dream job. I mean, that was... The project that you were on for the longest run, right? I think it was like 55, 60 episodes? Yeah, it was more. It was uh, almost... It was seven years, and we did uh, 12 or 10, depending on the year. So it was over 70 episodes. Um, And, I mean, that was also just such a family. It was a very interesting time in my life. I had been, I got divorced just before that. So it was a very uh, uh, emotional time for me. And I got to, uh, we were shooting in New York, which is where I'm from. So I would, I would leave uh, LA where things were very tender. And I had a young daughter here. It was very challenging. But every year that I'd go to work, I would, you know, it was another anniversary and I would see how, you know, life is, uh, generous that way. You know, I, I, you know, every year I smelled the soil a little bit more after the rain. I was a little more whole. I was a little more, uh, all those things. And, uh, and not only that, but that's just on a very personal level, but, you know, on a, on a work level, going to work and, and just laughing so much, so, so many days with uh, Stephen Wallum and Merritt Weaver and, oh God, I can't, I, don't, I shouldn't have said any names because everybody was just so, uh, so special. And first and last was Edie Falco. I mean, talk about a, a, an amazing number one on the call sheet. She is, she's the dream. I mean, she's someone who is, she's not only brilliant, she's, uh, you know, utterly consistent, utterly kind, um, completely committed to uh, having a fun, safe, great place to work. And, uh, and, And it was one of those things where, you know, everybody, whether they were a teamster or, or, Liz Schlitten, you know, slinging props or, or, or directors, uh, everyone knew how lucky we were all at the same time. And so it was just a real uh, gratitude fest all the time, you know? It was great. Panic Room. Hmm. I think it's the biggest blockbuster-wise film that you've been a part of, if you're talking about dollars, hmm. but it was also just a fun movie. Any stories or any anecdotes from that experience? Yeah, man, sure. Uh, well, David Fincher obviously is just, you know, what an incredible, iconic director, amazing guy. Um, and uh, we, I, I remember we had this, you know, 
the biggest scene was I, I play this young cop who comes, kind of answers a, uh, a neighbor's complaint or something, hearing noise coming from this house. Anyway, I come to the door and it's, uh, and I think in the script it said, uh, I, I don't know if it said raining, but I, it was definitely misty. And uh, it was, but by the time we shot it, he was like, no, it's pouring. He, uh, it's pouring rain. And they only had, they had one uh, back, uh, they had two outfits, the same outfit. So we had to keep, and, and, and David shoots like, I don't know, 40 takes. I mean, tons and tons of different uh, takes. He, he'll say, he'll come out with the same incredible enthusiasm and say, it was fantastic. Do it the exact same way. We're just making a little adjustment. And we do that over and over and over. And after a while, I'd be completely soaked. And so they'd, they'd fly in the, the other costume that was being dried while we were shooting a few takes before. And we'd change that and, and, uh, you know, staring into, uh, whether it was staring into Jodie Foster's face or staring into the lens, they were, we shot it all kinds of different ways, and um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was yeah, it was an incredible soundstage out in Manhattan Beach, and and it felt literally like I was on a New York City street, you know, that was just movie magic, man. They built it, yeah. yeah, it was pretty amazing. Finally, Rambo. What can you tell me about Stallone? Stallone, you know, it was it was great. That to me was the biggest production I was ever on, as far as just scope. I scale. mean, they, scale. Yeah, I remember being in a van and going from the hotel out to you know the the, the location and turning around a corner and seeing this huge lake and seeing the boat that we were going to that was part of the story, but seeing six other boats that were part of the filming of that boat and just, uh, I mean, they built villages. They built a village with literal uh, rice paddies and it was tiered and up the side of a, of a, of a huge hill that they ultimately bombed. Um, so it was just, the, the scale was enormous. And uh, I mean, they, you know, I grew up, I cried when when Stallone didn't win Best Actor for Rocky. Instead, they gave it to uh, he was fabulous. Was uh, uh, Peter? Oh gosh, shame on me. Finch, I think he was uh, the star of Network, and he had died before the. Uh, uh, so he he won the Best Actor award post uh, you know posthumously, but he was uh, and he was phenomenal. But I just at the time was a young kid who was. I, I was beyond chagrined at the injustice of not recognizing, uh, you know, rock. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 Stallone was an amazing guy. Very, uh, I asked him when we were shooting if he thought uh, his directing style was different when he was directing Rocky as opposed to Rambo. And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, um, you know, because I was curious about whether he was a little softer as Rocky. And he said he was. Uh, you know, we had, it was strenuous and, and, uh, and he, would, he would vent at times. I mean, unbelievable though, his, his, uh, his commitment to what he was doing. It his was creative just, engine is insane. 
absolutely insane. And you see so many people kind of slack-jawed all around him, me included, who ultimately, uh, you know, drank the Kool-Aid and were like, this guy, I mean, I remember one time we were shooting a scene. It was the middle of the night. We're in the jungle. And it was, it took place in a, uh, we were held captive. So it was sort of like a little POW camp kind of thing. But there were, it was, there were, it was in a pigsty literally so they built this huge muddy pigsty with huge pigs all around and uh he just it wasn't it wasn't enough you know and he wanted uh so they were there were there was a uh, a a corpse a, a a dead guy kind of on some sort of not a crucifix but he was hung up and it was it was fake and it was filled with corn and other things that the pigs liked so that the pigs would kind of be eating at this guy's, this dead man's legs. And it just wasn't enough for him. And, uh, and he was just shouting. He started, he would just literally go out there. There he was. He was wearing a, a, a bathrobe. And he, he said, I need a crypt. I, I need a crypt. What do they fucking eat? They eat corn. They like corn and maple syrup. Fill a fucking crypt with corn and syrup and put it right here. And he goes out and he's digging the hole that it's go- that this crypt is going to go in. That the pigs are going to be more attracted to that. And it and the lights were on. It was like four in the morning, <laughs> and and it just reminded me of like Heart of Darkness. You know, I mean, he was just. Yeah, man, he's a unique, unique guy. Incredible, incredible. I feel like he also got robbed in Creed. He should have gotten the uh, Oscar for that. I thought he got robbed also. Uh, well, maybe, I, I I, don't know if he was nominated. If he wasn't nominated, he was absolutely robbed for Copland. But he was also fantastic in Cop. He's been, I mean, I, I thought, I remember when I got the call saying, you know, Mr. Stallone would like to talk to you, be there at 10 after to and wear like whatever like semi-formal cocktail garb or some shit it was very specific and he was basically going to get ready to offer me the part and you know and and so i was told to meet him at the beverly hills hotel or something and i just remember driving there thinking just thinking about like wow sylvester stallone you know what is and it was just the guy's been He's one of a kind, man. It's surreal sure. and insane. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're in his movie. Um, Very smart and funny guy, too. Extremely smart. That was something that jumped out right from the very beginning that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. Um, but, uh, I, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just, maybe it's his voice. Uh, who, who, who knows? But uh, anyway, super intelligent and funny guy. Favorite Rocky? Favorite Rocky? Yeah, what's yours? Oh, Rocky. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Just making sure. Not even close, man. To me, it's a perfect movie. Literally, a per- every scene is just... Rocky Two was great, too, but Rocky is just amazing. Last good book you read? This is The Way You Lose Her by Juno Diaz. Favorite music right now? Well, I mean, I listen to Travis Scott and and drake and love it and all these hip-hop guys when i take my kid to school and then after i drop her off i i i turn on mumford sons and and uh you know led zeppelin it's just it's it's all over the place hard to answer that's why i ask you fill the book i love it what grade is your daughter in she's in ninth is it a tough year 
It is, bro. Yeah, it is. It's still. I mean, it's still sublime. But there are there are moments, and I'm uh, uh, I'm a little nervous about the you know coming months and years. But it's great. Yeah, man. My six year old is getting very good at the eye roll now. Uh-huh. The art of negotiation. on yes. Everything, and it's a journey. It's a wild ride. It is. It's the best. What TV shows and films are you enjoying right now? I mean, this was a great year for films. I, I've been, I've watched a bunch uh, just r- recently, and uh, what did I see? I saw Joker. Uh, we we mentioned uh, Marriage Story. Um, Parasite was incredible I need to me. To see that. Yeah, you really I need do, to bro. See it, yeah. I mean, to me, it was the most uh, unique film uh, in a long, long time, and I think it is the film of the year. And TV. You know, I I guess I'm I'm more like uh, I'm kind of the average streamer, you know. Uh, so I don't watch much regular television, but um, anything resonate with you? Yeah, you know, I really what did I love? I, I, I'm I'm spacing right now, but he's an accountant. He and he go it, Ozark. Loved Ozark, man. Jason uh, Bateman. Yeah, Jason Bateman, man, and uh, that's a good one. And their whole that that whole cast is. Uh, is beautiful. I can't wait to. I, I, I've been errant. I, I haven't seen um, the latest uh, Merritt Weaver offering. It's one word. I can't remember the title. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching that. And uh, it, it depends who I'm. Uh, it depends who's sitting on the couch with me. I usually leave it up to them. Company specific. Yeah, I like it. And I just watch a ton of like sports. And try not to watch too much news. Are you a basketball fan? I am. Who's your hoops team? Well, brother, you know I'm a, I'm I'm from New York, so I can't I, I can't say, say I, I I mean it, it's been very unusual. I am I'm a Nick fan, but it's been so impossible to be a Nick fan for so long that uh, that my whole relationship to the game is is different i mean it's just a beautiful game so i watch it i mean i i like the lakers this year i i was working a lot in toronto over the last few years and so i kind of fell in love with that raptor team and the championship team I, and even before yeah. i was rooting for them uh the year before Kawhi came but um but certainly last year i was rooting for them from the very beginning so that was exciting very strange to to really kind of get behind a team that is not your team but can you root for yeah. brooklyn it's not the same. No, it's not the same. It just isn't. I mean, yeah, I it's can. Like Clippers and Lakers. There's Clippers feel like they're in another country. Yeah, even though they're right down the street. Yeah, it's strange. And I mean, we were. You grew up. You had to choose between the Yankees and Mets, and I refused to choose. I liked them both, and still do to this day. But, uh, but uh, football. I, you know, I'm a Giants fan, and and definitely I I loved the Garden, and I loved the Knicks. But it, man, just the worst team for for decades <laughs> doesn't look like it's getting any better no it's it's pathetic which is really disappointing really strange because i feel like the product suffers when la and new york are not relevant every year mm. it's just a from a business thirty thousand foot level there has to be a relevant new york team how can there not be well i mean i, I yeah I, I i think emotionally how can there not be but literally it's very possible because they haven't been anywhere near relevant for literally decades since phil jackson yeah, I mean, since he played. Since he yes, played. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and yet basketball is amazing. I guess Boston kind of took over, you know. It's not the same, though. No. The city is different. Yeah. Madison Square Garden totally. is different. Totally. 
If you hosted a podcast, what would you want it to be about? That's funny. I've thought about um, I've thought about that at times, and the last, and and even considered maybe trying to start one, but and I think I, I haven't heard it, but uh, Rogan may have be be on to something. The guy from. Uh, I, it's not Seth. It's the other. It's this, the other Rogan. Joe does, Rogan. Joe Rogan. That's uh, UFC and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I hear that he has a really amazing podcast. He's and that, the yeah. number one. Yeah, and so and I I, I don't know if I, what specifically he gets into, but I thought about you know something inspirational. Um, I kind of like, you know, it's been bandied about a lot lately, this notion of superpower and stuff like that. But um, what people are genuinely good at, Viktor Frankl is an author. He mm-hmm. wrote uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And so, and there's something that really resonates in that for me, that every one of us has something that only we specifically can are are on this planet for whether it's being a dad whether it's making this podcast that you're doing i mean when 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 you're in that pocket and it's rare for for humans to find themselves really in that place i i think being a parent is the most obvious and accessible one for so many people but uh but there's something to that and so it's like i think i'd do a podcast about like are are you in that place do you know what your superpower is if if you uh if you do how where are you on the path to finding yourself to getting it realized stuff like that well you're one step away from making it happen cuz you got a great title you got a great concept and you're a natural finally any projects or things that you're a part of that you'd like to tell listeners about? Well, the last thing I did, uh, I, I I would like to say it's ironic, but it, it but by now we know it's not because I'm I'm hopelessly tethered to her. Uh, I was uh, a guest for a few episodes on Edie's latest show called Tommy, um, which is going to be on CBS, and uh, and, and I just finished uh, right around Christmas time. And so uh, I'm interested to see how that might turn out. Hasn't um, aired yet, right? No, hasn't aired. I think it airs in February. And it's a it's a LA show, but it's being shot in yes. New York. Yes. So they go, rebuilt go LA. Yeah. Well, they're trying. I, you know, and and it was. I'm sure it was. It, it was daunting as they were trying to wrap uh, the season as and winter was uh, was upon them. It was kind of uh, funny to have to literally wait for the snow to stop and then clean things off so it could uh but yeah man she's a diehard new yorker and i'm sure there are other reasons but certainly her biggest reason is she's got her kids and new york is her home and if they want her that's where she lives and that's where she works but it's amazing to to shoot uh, you know in new york for la is is uh you know that's where things are at these days there were 80 shows shooting that, that at that time in New York City, it's booming off the hinges there. Um, but uh, yeah, and 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 LA is uh, busy too. So 
very cool that you mentioned a project that goes right back to Sopranos alum. So it's mm. only it's only fitting. Uh, Paul, I wish you the best. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you, Vic. My pleasure. <laughs>